Show. Yeah. 115 and uh today is um CCR. And can you tell people what CCR means? I mean, it's clear uh Credence Clearwater Revival. Dude, they had like a very tough like uh upgrading, even that documentary, like how many albums did they do in a short time? Oh, it was like five in two years. You know, it was like ridiculous. Dude, how the hell did they do? And the, and most of them were like award winning, like chart charting. Yeah, they were all in the you know in the top twenty. All right. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's a great story. Okay. Uh, they go back actually to 1959. All right, they were in a band called the Blue Velvets together. So let me just introduce these guys. John Fogarty is the lead vocalist. He mm-hmm. played lead guitar. And he was the main songwriter. Yeah. He had his older brother, Tom Fogarty, in the band. Uh, he was the rhythm guitarist. Stu Cook was the bassist. And Doug Clifford was the drummer. Uh, like I said, they started playing together uh, right out of high school, basically, in 1959. Uh, they would be the Blue Velvets. They did a lot of, like, uh, kind of like just jukebox, jukebox hits, stuff like that. Um, they were from El Cerrito, California, and uh, they played a lot of instrumentals and jukebox hits. These guys all wanted to be musicians at an early age. Yeah, but they managed to actually get a recording album as the Blue Velvet. Yeah, well, singles. Singles, singles which is, that's impressive, wouldn't you say? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they were young guys. Um, they put out a couple of singles as the Blue Velvets. Um you know, these guys were driven, especially John. I believe yeah. he was, you know, pretty driven to do this. This is what he wanted. Uh, Tom Fogarty, who was a little bit older, than him, actually performed with some other bands. He would either play guitar or he would sing with some other acts. And eventually he was asked to join in. Like when the Blue Velvets recorded uh, a couple of singles that they did, he, they brought him in just to add a little, you know, extra good vocals and stuff like that. And that's what he did. He came in as supposedly only to add vocal, and then he turned, he's like a monster almost. Who, Tom? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he had a great voice. He had a better voice, actually, than John. Yeah. But John ended up being the singer because he had a very distinctive voice. Yeah. Okay, you know, but before they, you know, they started out as the Blue Velvets, all right, but there would be some changes by 1964 because they signed up with Fantasy Records out of San Francisco, which was basically a jazz label that was kind of expanding into rock music. So they were brought in, and uh, the, the president of the label 
wanted them to change their name to the Gollywogs. That was a terrible name. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's actually Gollywogs. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, you know, every once in a while when I do these shows, I, I get amazed by something. Okay. Because there's always something I don't know that I, that I, I learned. I didn't know there was a, a racist element to Gollywogs. Yeah, later on, that's what they say. Especially that documentary you sent me. They said it was like a racist element to it. Yeah, what it is. See, I always thought I, I'm actually a fan of their work as the Gollywogs. I mean, the, the the songs were like '60s garage type, you know, uh, stuff you would hear on the Nuggets collection, the Pebbles collection. In fact, the song "Fight Fire" from the Gollywogs did make the Nuggets set. Okay, but what I always thought of Gollywog a little tadpole or something. But that's that's a polywog. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. I, I never realized. A gollywog was, it was part of like a, a children's story, children's character that were was around in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. But the gollywog character was basically, and they made dolls out of it too, was a a, a a black-faced baby doll with, like, big red lips, like a minstrel character. Yeah. Okay? And I guess, I don't know, I never knew this, and uh, but apparently they did, and they didn't want the name. They didn't like the name because of that reason. That's pretty funny. Mm. It's kind of strange, actually. But in 66... Uh, John Fogarty and Doug Clifford got drafted. Okay. Now the Gollywogs had been putting out some singles. They hadn't really made much traction. Okay. Um, there was, but one... Mike, you know, what's another reason why they gave him that name also, right? Why is that? Because of the British invasion. Oh yeah. Right. No, that's true. It sounds like a, uh, like British. It has the sound of something like the Beatles. Yeah. Or, you know, the kinks, the gollywogs, you know, yeah, it sounds like so that's I think that's what they gave him that name to try to get a little bit of that influence of that music. Oh, where are these guys from? But they were from San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, they, right. They were from California and they took a name that sounded, I guess, kind of British sounding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. OK, it's just a, it's just a very strange, strange name. And then that racial element to it was was odd that I, I never knew. Yeah, it's crazy, but, right? How yeah, it is. Out? It is. But they were releasing some singles, all right? Uh, mostly were written by John or Tom Fogarty, but none were really any big hits. Um, right before John Fogarty and Doug, Cl uh, Doug Clifford got drafted, all right, they, were, they came out with a song called Brown Eyed Girl. Uh, nothing to do with the Van Morrison song, totally different. Um, and it turned out to be a minor hit in Florida. And then another strong single right after that was a song called Fight Fire. I think that's probably one of their best songs as the Gollywogs. But John joined the Army Reserve and, and Doug Clifford joined the Coast Guard Reserve. So they were going to be gone for a while and they couldn't really build on the fact that, that these two songs were doing well. All right. So everything kind of stopped when they, when they got drafted. Um, 
the fact that that happened, it, it gave the band some time off that it needed. But in 67, Saul uh, Zayant, who he ended up buying fantasy records, okay? Uh, and he offered the Gollywogs a chance to record a full album. But having hated the name the Gollywogs from day one, the band said, listen, we're going to do another name change. And they decided on Credence Clearwater Revival. Now, you might wonder how they came up with that, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, they, they basically went home and they thought of some names. Um, they took the name... They were thinking of using the name just Credence. And it sounded, they got it from the word Creed. And they said, Credence, that sounds good. But then one of them said, you know, they were looking at beer. There's a certain beer that they used to drink that had the the word. The Olympic Brewing Company. Right, the Olympic, right. And in Clearwater, that's what he used to say on the can. If you watch old movies from, uh, the 60s and 70s, like Easy Rider, for instance. Yeah. Okay. Whenever you see them drinking a beer, it's always an Olympia beer. Okay. And it looks like a Coors can, but it says Olympia on it. Olympia. Uh, Clearwater was another idea that they were thinking of. But then they said, you know, let's put this all together. Credence Clearwater. And the word revival was thrown in because the name change was going to revive them. And that's how they looked at it. So yeah, Creedence right. Clearwater Revival. It sounds almost like a, you know, like a Baptist, Southern Baptist, you know, singing group or something like that. But, uh, you know, that by January of 68, that was the official name of the band. But I think they wanted that unique name just because, you know, what it sounds different because it would compete with other bands. You know, it was a long name and it's a weird name. Yeah, well, it's memorable. Yeah. Okay. And it, 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 when you hear it, you go, okay, well, what exactly does that mean? So, you know, it worked for them. And like I said, it had a kind of Southern sound to it. And these guys would definitely, even though they were from California, they yeah, were definitely. Yeah, I never got that. They were like very Southern, but they were from California and they're like down with Southern rock. And yeah, I mean, when smart. I was younger, when I was younger and I didn't know too much about them, I figured they were from like Louisiana or something. Yeah, for some reason, because of the bayou, all that stuff. I always right songs about the bayou. Uh, they used to call it swamp rock that they played. Okay, uh, sometimes it's referred to that the music they make. Um, yeah, I I don't know, and they, you could you could hear the blues stuff going through that music. So oh, I yeah. always, you know, as a young person when I first heard Credence, I I figured out that's a southern band, but they weren't. They were just a uh, doing a southern thing they were they were from california so i still think think the history these guys were the the whole thing with them it's it's like that history with them is fantastic because they weren't there that long either no but they made their mark in that short like four or five year period yeah can you fucking believe that yeah no really i mean it it, it, they still it's fascinating they still hold the record and I'll get into this a little bit more in a little bit, but they hold the record for all, for the most amount of number two songs. Number two. Yeah. All right. They never had a number one hit in America. You think about that. All the, the hit songs that you still hear 
on classic rock every day. Down on the corner. Yeah. Uh, you know, fortunate son. Yep. Stuff like that. You, you, you would think one of those would have went to number one in America. They all capped off at number two for some reason. Even they, the version of Proud Mary and the Proud Mary. No, 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 Proud Mary. Uh, no, they, they, were, they were number two or top ten, but they never had a number one in America. They had number one. Uh, they had a number one in the UK, I think more than once, and a couple other countries, but not not a number one in America. And they were, you know, they were a top selling act. But I don't know what it was. Uh, I tried to look at the charts and see like what held them back. And it, it really didn't look like it was one particular group that was holding them back. Because sometimes we've, we've talked about other bands that came a little bit earlier in the 60s. And yeah. the, Be- the Beatles always held them back. You know, the Beatles would be sitting at number one for 10 weeks. And then, what, you know, what can you tell me about taking out three fucking albums in 1969? Because to me, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Three albums in 1969. How the fuck do you do that? How do you have enough these guys? To... Well, you know, let's let's get into the let's get into the songs, okay? Because they had a first album, all yeah. right. Um, the very first Gollywog single, okay, was was Porterville. Uh, excuse me, Credence. Uh, very first Credence single was yeah. called Porterville, and it was released in November 1967. It technically was a Gollywog song. But they used it as a credence song, okay? And it was also included on their debut self-titled album, Credence Clearwater Revival, that was released in May of 1968. Um, The second single that they released off that album was their version of Dale Hawkins' Suzy Q. Yep. All right? It's an eight-minute song. Now, what they did is they made it a part one and a part two on the single, A and B side. And uh, if you listen to it, part one fades out, and then you flip the record over and part two fades right back in. All right. Uh, if you remember Apocalypse Now, there's that famous scene where uh, they're, in the, they're in that like uh, area in the jungle where all these guys are meeting for a R and R, yeah, and and all the Playboy bunnies are helicoptered in, yeah, yeah, right, and they they're playing that song, they're playing that when the girls are coming off the plane, you hear Suzy Q by by Creedence, okay, great. yeah, it's a great scene, um, it's an eight minute song, so they had to cut it in half, and they they put it on side one and side two, uh, the song was a. Uh, uh, also, they were playing it when they were the Gollywogs. So they were kind of familiar with the song. But what they did to it on the album is they kind of psychedelicized it a little bit. All right, if you listen to it. And the reason that they did that was they wanted to get it played on station KMPX out of San Francisco, which was an underground progressive rock station. Okay, I believe it was probably FM. Mike, you want um, to hear something interesting? That's, sure. Um, that song that that Susan Kerr, I think, is the only song that John Fogley never wrote that made it to the top forty. Yep. Well, made it made it as high as high as it did. It went to okay. number eleven. Yeah, yeah. It went to a number eleven on Billboard. Mm-hmm. It's the only song that they released um, as a single that wasn't their song. 
Yeah. Okay, that's, yeah, it's unique, and it was a cover. Right. But they also did a cover of uh, Screaming Jay Hulk, and I put a spell on you. Right, right, but that only got to number 50. Yeah, and I kind of love that. Rendition. Oh, it's great. That hit that version of that song is, is fantastic. Okay. And there's a B side of that. All right. Um, called walk on the water. Um, I don't know if you remember, but, but, uh, uh, when we talked about Richard hell that time, Richard hell and yeah. the voidoids had added that song on blank generation when they made it. Remember, remember we were talking about how they recorded it in two studios and then oh, they, yeah. yeah, that that was a song that they added on because it was so popular when they used to do it live. So, so I mean, it was always a it was always a favorite of people who like Credence, you know. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, the album itself did well; it got to number fifty two, but the critics hadn't really warmed up to them yet. They kind of gave it mixed reviews. Um, but they all could agree that John Fogarty was a was a talent that had to be paid attention to. All right. So after the debut album was released, Credence began touring and also started working on a second album right away, which was to be called Bayou Country. Uh, it was released in January of 69. And it's the first of the several albums that they released that year. It was recorded at RCA Studios in L.A., uh, Bio Country would get to number seven on the charts, and it would be the first of a string of hit albums over the next two years. Off this album, you had the single Proud Mary, and that would get to number two. All right, and the B side was born on the Bayou. Yeah. Now, Proud Mary would be Credence's most covered song, and most famously by Ike and Tina Turner in 1971. Uh, John Fogarty cites this song as being the result of being happy and in high spirits after being discharged from the Army Reserve. Um, the album features a remake of Little Rich's Good Golly, Miss Molly. And there's also a nine-minute uh, song that was their live show closer called Keep On Chugling. They put that on the album. Yep. Great song. Uh, a few months later... Um, they released the song Bad Moon Rising as a single. It was backed with the B-side Lodi. Uh, it spent three weeks at number one in the UK between September and October of 69. Uh, it was the only single to go number one in the UK for them, actually. All right. And uh, this single was off their third album. So they were already, you know, they had two out. They were already yeah. getting a third. Okay, by the end of 69. That's amazing. It is. It is. Okay. Uh, that's, that, that album was called Green River, and it came out in August of 69. That's the month I was born. Um, the title track was released in the United States, and that got to number two, the song Green River, like Proud Mary had done just a year yeah. earlier. Okay. Earlier in the year, I should say. Let me uh, ask you, the studio must have been happy with these guys. They, 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 they must have been charting top 20 with three albums in one year. Yeah, I mean, they had, they, they had to be Fantasy's biggest moneymaker money at this point. And, you know, Fantasy didn't have too many rock acts, but, but that was definitely one of their biggest, if not their biggest. They made a lot of money off Credence. 
Yeah, because God, man, like I, I didn't realize they took that many albums. Then when I looked at how long they, I didn't realize they were, they weren't a band for that long. No, uh, about five years. That's even more fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, some bands just are like that. They they last a short time, but they make a big mark. You know, some of the best bands are that way. You know, and uh, I mean, there was a time when Credence was, and it was basically around here, like 69, 70, where everything they touched went went gold. Yeah, you know, basically. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And they're good songs. They, you know, most of them are very good songs. Um, they went on tour constantly through, through most of 69. Uh, in July, they played the Atlanta Pop Festival. And in August, they played the Woodstock Festival. Yeah. Now, this I find very interesting. Uh, their set, however, was not included in the film. Okay, or on the soundtrack for Woodstock, which is very strange. Why would they not be on that, considering they were one of the biggest bands around at the time? Well, John Fogarty felt that the performance was subpar. And the problem he had with it was, is that the Grateful Dead was on before them. And they (laughs) fucking played for like three hours and they put the crowd to sleep. And by the time... Fogarty and, and CCR came out. It was like three o'clock in the morning. And he said that he was playing to a bunch of people sleeping in sleeping bags covered in mud. Right. So I guess that's how he felt back then. But I challenge anybody, any fan of CCR, even if you're not, to, to go on YouTube and watch some of this show. Okay. Uh, or listen to the 2019 double album set that finally came out after 50 years, okay, um, and listen to it, and you tell me if it's subpar, because I think it's a fantastic live album that they released in 2019, but just the performance in general, that should have been included. I don't understand. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he was that much of a perfectionist, or maybe they were really even so much better than that live, you know, and they just felt like we didn't have a lot of energy that night because the crowd wasn't into it, but the crowd was into it. If you watch the show or listen to it, it you hear the audience that it's not like it's crickets, you know? So I don't, I don't, I don't really get why he did that, but I guess you got to look back at it as a mistake. I guess, I guess he does. But uh, if you ever have a chance to listen to the live album or watch a little bit on YouTube, it's really interesting. Now, after Woodstock, CCR were busy getting material together for a fourth album. And that would be called Willie and the Poor Boys. It would be released in November of 69. And the singles Down on the Corner and Fortunate Son were released and went to number three. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, three and number 14, excuse me. Three would be for Down on the Corner, 14 for Fortunate Son. Um, and that would happen by the end of the year of 69. The album was standard credence, okay, Willie and the Poor Boys. Um, mostly originals and some covers. Um, they covered, <clears throat> excuse me, they covered Lead Belly 
on that, one of your favorites. Uh, yep. The songs Cotton Fields and Midnight Special. Now, on November 16th, they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show and they performed Fortunate Son and Down on the Corner. Uh, in 69, that was really a sensational year for this band. Uh, they had three top 10 albums, four hits, singles, <clears throat> and also the B-sides charted in places as well. So these guys, everything they touched was pretty much gold. Yes, by 69. By the end of 69, they had to be one of the, one of the if not the, biggest rock act around. Okay? And the, the amount of sales, uh, you know, uh, ticket sales also for the live shows. Okay? They, they were known for very good live shows. Um, they would release another double A-side hit single in January of 1970. And it was the song's traveling band, the B-side was Whole Stop the Rain. Yep. Now you think about that. Think about that single right there. Okay, it's a double A. Both those songs are still played on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> 50 fucking years later. All right. I mean, you know, it, it's not too often that I get excited by a commercial band or anything like that. I'm into all kinds of music. Underground things that are less known. And then this is one of the bands that I like that, that happens to just be commercial. Just they just were. Um, I think they kind of became, you know, I think it's kind of hard to understand it now because it's 50 years down the line. But I think when that this music came out, it was kind of different at the time. Uh, and then I think rock music kind of evolved in a sense that this particular sound was considered almost generic rock music. Okay, in time, not then. Back then, I I think it was something new. But you know what I think? I think when they came out, they were definitely different from anybody else, and they just had like a very unique. Sound. That's what I'm like, saying. Like, yeah, they were I, like, well, they were like, they were like their own thing, you know. And, yeah. but they were, it was pretty much like pretty much good rock and roll, like good guitar playing, good vocalists. It wasn't nothing to reinvent the wheel, but it was just solid. No, I don't think they were looking to reinvent the wheel. I think that they had. No, their, but I mean that's that's yeah. what I mean that they were yeah. they were just a solid. They had everything down packed: a good guitar, yeah. a good bassist, decent drum, and a guy that had that voice. Because I, I yeah. think John Fogerty's voice is one of the most amazing voices in singing. Yeah, I mean, I always like vocals that are distinctive, and you know a John Fogerty when you hear it. John yeah. Fogerty song when you hear it, just like a, a Motorhead song, you know it's Lenny. Yeah, you know bands like that. I always, I always like, okay, because they're distinctive. And they, they, they had him there. I mean, Tom had the better voice, but they let John sing because he had this distinctive sound. So that yeah. was all intentional. But what I mean is they weren't, you know, they weren't experimental, progressive, like a Hendrix-type thing. They just play good, solid rock and roll. Their influences showed through. You know, you Ooh. heard the blues. Yeah, you but you know, the, the problem is they didn't they didn't need it. They didn't need no. anything special. They didn't need to be the next Hendrick. They was just they weren't good. looking to be. They just they <laughs> yeah. just wanted to go out and play and, and be a good rock and roll band and they just that's what they were. Now And I when, think also the mm -hmm. war and stuff had to do with it because like sixty nine and all that, it's like a revival year almost. So you know, people were hungry for stuff. 
you know, speaking of the speaking of the war, the song Fortune Son. Yeah. Okay. Now I always feel that that song's a little bit misunderstood. I think people, you know, at face value, they think it's an anti-war song. No, it's a protest song. It's about... a, it's an anti-establishment song. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 about if you listen to it, and rich can... people not being able to go exactly to the elites. Yeah, the, the elite, elite. The, the elites, and 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 not not they didn't have to go off to war like the poor slob working nine to five. Yeah, that's okay. why I always took it for. I said the song against the elite. Yeah, yeah, it's not so much a a war, an anti-war song, though it's done in that context. It's really about the elite getting you know two sets of rules, one set of rules for them, and one set of rules for us, and it's kind of still like that, right? Yeah, it's it's crazy how that song you can still put it out today. Is. Yeah, it, it means something. It you means. Know. You yeah. know who does a very good cover of that song? Who? The Dropkick Murphys. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Very good song. Very good version of it. They did it a, little, a long time ago. Um, when Traveling Band and Who'll Stop the Rain came out in January of '70, they got into a little controversy because Traveling Band kind of has a strong. Little Richard sound to it, especially the way it starts. Okay, and the band was accused of copying "Good Golly, Miss Molly" because it has that shout in the beginning about being in a traveling band, and it sounds like Little Richard almost. Oh man! Now, yeah, give it a listen again. You'll you'll know what I'm saying. And the song publisher for "Good Golly, Miss Molly" sued the band, and it ended up being settled out of court. Okay, so it actually never got that far. But Traveling Band, despite that, became a hit anyway. And it was one of their number twos. Uh, on January 31st, 1970, the band recorded a live show at the Oakland Coliseum that would later be released as a live album. Um, in February, Credence made the cover of Rolling Stone as a band. Okay, but for some reason, John Fogarty was the only one who did the interview for the magazine. Um, in April of that year, Credence began their first European tour. Now think about it. They've been around for about three years and they, they, you know, two, three years, they hadn't done Europe yet. And they already had a number one a few months earlier. So they were a little late in getting over there for some reason. But some new songs were actually written at this time, specifically for the trip to Europe. Um, up Around the Bend, run, yeah. through, run Through the Jungle were added to their sets. And both were released on a single, with Up Around the Bend being the A-side. Uh, and it got to number four in that spring. Now, <clears throat> after the European tour, the band returned back to San Francisco to record their next album, which was called Cosmos Factory. And it would be their fifth studio album in two years. And once again, it came out on Fantasy Records. Uh, that would be in July of 1970. Now, they got the title of the album because of a reference to their drummer, Doug Clifford, um, whose his nickname was Cosmos because he was interested in astronomy. Okay, so Cosmos Factory featured uh, a live favorite that they always did called Ramble Tamble. And there's an 11-minute <laughs> version of uh, Marvin Gaye's I Heard It Through the Grapevine, 
on this album. I love that version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Yeah, the, uh, the version is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's a little psychedelic, kind of, and uh, it just goes on. There's a nice break in the middle where it changes a little bit, then comes back to the sound. Yeah, um, the single Looking Out My Back Door, okay, with the B-side, uh, Long As I Can See the Light, got to number two. That's those songs are all damn good, man. What all damn good. I'm like shit, man. You know, if you listen, like you say, if you listen to the radio today, especially the seventies, like seventies station, they probably play a few uh, classic rocks at Q- Q104 here in New York. Okay, back to back, John Fogel, you know, yeah. Clearance, but they just had so many hits. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't know if I, I think a lot of people might think of them as kind of a singles band, but. You know, like, in other words, you just listen to the hits and that's it. But I like the album tracks. I think they're strong. They're just as strong as some of the almost almost any of those album tracks could have been released as a single, especially off of Cosmos Factory. You know, I mean, Let but me tell you, uh, Mike, you think they had like a big influence on Grand, Grand Fred Werro and all these other bands? Well, yeah. Why not? I, I mean, they, they were paving the road for, for this kind of for music. Band, Grand, yeah. Funk was, Grand Funk was a lot heavier. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure they were listening. I, I would be surprised if they weren't. But I could see the influence of these guys on them, you know? Yeah. Look, I mean, it's simple three-chord blues-based rock and roll, okay? Um you could do a lot with a Creedence song. There's Creedence songs. I mean, like, like Fortunate Son, for instance. I was saying yeah. how the Dropkick Murphys do it. They do it almost punkish. Okay? And you could, you know, you, you could do that with their music. Speed it up a little bit. Make it a punk song. You know? Um, not every song of theirs, but, but a lot of them. Something like Fortunate Son, you definitely could. It has that heavy sound anyway. Um... You know, I, I think that they they influenced basically everybody after them. Uh, I know I, I've read in books that that like Johnny Ramone has said, like the two greatest American bands are Creedence Clearwater Revival and and The Doors. Interesting, coming from him. And The Doors. Yeah, he said they were the two greatest American bands. What do you think? That's pretty. You know what? He, he might be right. You know, if you think about what came along before him, you know what I'm saying? Like before the remotes. Okay, so that, that's what he meant by that. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, you could, you could throw Hendrix in there. You could throw other people. But I think if you, you know, they would be up there as far as American bands. You know, because the 60s was so dominated by British bands. You know, but as far as American bands out there, the five records in in two years, you know, with all the yeah. hit, with all the hits, and all the good songs, we we all know these songs. They're they're part of our uh, our DNA. Yeah, and they're as, American. As, 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 as a, a, you know, rock fans and American music fans, we grew up with this music on the radio. Okay, and uh, his his you know Fogarty. Uh, you know what what what. What maybe a lot of people don't know is is Fogarty, John Fogarty was the main songwriter. Yeah. Okay. And he really held the reins of this band 
through its whole existence. Um, and I think that in some ways that was its downfall too, which we'll get into. Um, yeah, because- that's the one thing. I don't get why that happened. Why such a great band and a downfall like that? Like It's like amazing. You guys are writing hits album. You guys are on top of the world. What the fuck? You know, I mean, you're dealing with with uh, four guys that were, uh, you know, they were rock stars. So there's egos involved here. Okay. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting because I think there's two sides to the story. And both sides are right and both sides are wrong. And for some reason, it's one of these things they couldn't they couldn't come to an agreement. Um, maybe because Tom and John were brothers, uh, that added some of the problem to it. Because after the band broke up, they never reconciled. Yeah, for a long you know forever really. They hardly ever spoke, and uh, didn't you know they didn't reconcile. The band never reunited after they broke up. All right. When they had a chance. He- yeah, they did. They did. They did. We're going to get into all that. We're going to get into all that. I don't want to jump ahead because I want to talk a little more about, about Cosmos uh, Factory. Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> well, to tell you the truth, actually, I'm kind of up to that point a little bit because Cosmos Factory was really the last one that they did that, you know, the tensions were not too bad. Okay, because after that came out, all right, the leadership role that he had, John Fogarty had taken, really didn't sit well with a lot of these the other guys, all right? And he did write all the songs, but they wanted to have some input. But John Fogarty, you know, he would always say, you guys come in and you do the rehearsals and you record the album, play the music. But I sit back and I arrange everything and I'm doing, you know, I'm involved in the producing. And he would complain that he was alone in the studio. These guys would come in and leave. So I I don't know, you know, I don't know if it was all his fault. You know, I think the, uh, I think Clifford and, and Cook, the only other two living members, I think that they resent that Fogarty is the focus, you know, but that, that happens when you have a lead singer, right? Of course. You know, the lead singer, if it's a man or forget if it's a woman, you know, I mean, look at a band like Blondie. Does anybody give a fuck who's in Blondie? No, they didn't back then. Okay. Now, you know, people might look at it a little differently, but back then in the seventies, Nobody looked at anybody else in the band except Debbie. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because she was beautiful. She still is beautiful. Well, okay. you can say the same thing about the band, no doubt, with uh, Gwen Stefani. Oh, yeah. You, know? you could have had, had four cardboard cutouts on stage and nobody would have noticed. That. Yeah. Who the, who, the hell, who the hell was no doubt? Nobody cares. No, you just... You, that's what happens. And I think when you're a musician in a band... And, you know, you're obviously, if you're not the singer, you got to have that, you know, in your head that, that this, you know, if we're going to make this work, I got to deal with that. And if I can't deal with it, then I don't know. How can you be in a band? 
Right. But then you look at the runaways, everybody can name everybody on the runaways. <laughs> well, yeah, though they were, they were, you know, <laughs> that's a little different. You sell, you're selling sex there a little bit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know the teenage girls dress scantily on stage and playing guitar, you know. Yeah, it's but that... think about that. If, if it's one hot girl in the front, who the hell they got to pay the background? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little it's like... girls, you know, all their names. That's, that's a little exception to the rule, you know, but. That's true. Now, Only if you're like the Rolling Stones or you know everybody there. Yeah, well, that's that's a different level. Yeah. You know, a totally <laughs> different level. Now, um, they would release the album Pendulum in December of 1971. And it was another top seller. Gave them a top 10 with the single, Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Okay. Uh, and I mentioned... That's a, that's a great song. Uh, yeah. And I mentioned... You know, Johnny Ramone being a fan of the band, they covered that song on the 1990, uh, oh God, 1993 album Acid Eaters, their album of covers that they did. They do a very good version of Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Um, the album has a distinctive sound, slightly different than past Creedence albums, um, because he used a lot of the Hammond B3 organ on it. Yeah. And he featured it prominently in a lot of songs. Um, so, you know, it definitely, it, that album's a little bit different because he was using it uh, mostly as an homage to Booker T and the MGs. And Booker T and the MGs was the house band for the Stax record label. And they had their own hit in the 60s, the song Green Onions, yeah. the, the instrumental. Um, but they actually jammed a little bit with them at times. So they knew these guys, and they they decided to add these these organ sounds into some of these songs. And I think I think it works great. It's it, it makes Pendulum a little bit different than the prior Creedence albums, but not too much, you know. Um, in early '71, after Pendulum was released, Tom Fogarty quit the band. He was fed up with uh, all the building tensions, the infighting going on. Um, over control of the band. Uh, his departure would actually not be made public for another year. But the band considered replacing him. They were going to replace him, somebody to come in on rhythm. But they decided to move forward as a trio instead. Okay. Now, John Fogarty changed at this point. And he did a complete 180, basically. And he insisted that for the next album they do, it would be done, the writing would be done democratically. In other words, everybody would write songs. Uh, he also insisted that when Clifford and Cook wrote a song, they would sing it. Okay? And he would only play guitar. So... They would have to write a song, which they wanted to do. Yeah. But I don't think they wanted to sing. <laughs> okay. So they took it like, Fogarty, you're being a dick now. Okay. Now you're, now you're being a dick. First, you don't let us write anything. You want to write all the songs. Now you want to let us write a song, but we got to sing it. I, right? so, I think it was a test. I think it, I think it was a test. And I th not only was it a test. It was it was to show proof, like I'm 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 the one that did all this, John Fogarty. I'm the one that did all this for the band. 
You got, he, it's not that you guys are, you know, hired help and I don't care, but I did this. You guys played on it and we, you know, they, they shared the, I think they shared the pay. Okay. I imagine because Fogarty wrote the songs, he had the rights and he did have the rights for many years. He would lose them and get them back. Okay. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute, but, um, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I'm sure whatever that when they played live, live, they got a, an equal cut. You know, I don't know if it was just because Fogarty was the lead guy. The focus is all on him, but that's too bad. That's what happens with a lead singer. But uh, he, he said to them, you've got to do it this way where you write and you sing your own songs and I'll only play guitar on your songs. And if we don't do it this way, I'm quitting the band. That's the end of it. So they agreed. They didn't want to give up. So they, they agreed. And um, the first single that was released was a song called Sweet Hitchhiker. Um, it's a standard Fogarty stomper kind of song. It went top 10. Uh, but the B-side was a Stu Cook original, the bass player, Stu Cook, uh, called Door to Door, which he wrote and sang. So they actually put it out on a single, a Fogarty written and performed and sang song with a Stu Cook B-side. Um, through the summer of 71 and 72, Credence toured the U.S. extensively and Europe as well. Um, and Cook's song was a part of the live set. So he would actually, there, there were shows, they would, he would sing live. Okay. And I believe it happened with Clifford too. Okay. The drummer, I think the drummer in the live shows got to sing a couple of songs too, that he wrote. All right. Now, despite the commercial success relations in the band really continued to sour. Uh, the final album will be called Mardi Gras and it will be released in April of 72 featuring uh, songs written by all three members. Uh, one of the standouts I, I, I like on this album, it's not, it's not really a good album, to be honest with you. It's their worst album. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, I gave it a listen when I was preparing for the show, and I hadn't heard this album in fucking like 30 years. Okay. And uh, it's not good. It's really not. It's not one that you go to. Sweet Hitchhiker is a good song. That was the hit. Uh, but what I do like is their version of Hello, Mary Lou. Yeah, it's a good version. Okay, that Ricky Nelson had, had done. Uh, it's a good cover of it. Um, it kind of highlights that there's a little bit of like three-part harmony. So you could actually hear the other guys singing too. So it, it's kind of interesting in that way. Um, critically, the album was torn apart. Okay, the critics did not like this album. Rolling Stone Magazine's John Landau said it was the worst album he'd ever heard from a major rock band. That's not good. Okay. But the sales to Mardi Gras, though weaker than past albums, still got to number 12. Yeah, they were in the top 40 for a while, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, they were still riding high on that reputation. And it was their seventh consecutive gold album. Yeah. Um, right. There was a single, um, another single of uh, Fogarty's song, Someday Never Comes. And the B-side was uh, Doug Clifford's Tearing Up the Country. And that just, just cracked the top 40. It was like 30-something. Okay. 
Um, by this time, Fogarty was not just at odds with band members, though. His relationship with Saul Zentz of Fantasy Records was fractured. He claimed that Zentz reneged on a promise to give them a better contract. Now, Stu Cook, bass player, he actually had a business degree, okay, from college. And he claimed that this poor business deal, because Fogarty, one thing he did that I, I don't understand why is he took over the business managing of the band as well. Okay, so he was writing the songs, he was recording the songs, he was producing and all that stuff, and he was working business management of the band, the financials. You think maybe he took on too much and he was probably just- I, I, I I think I don't know if he felt these guys couldn't do it and he had to do it. I or was it a control freak kind of thing? I I'm not sure. I'm real. I'm, I really don't know. It's kind of a great mystery. Uh, there's two sides to it. Each side blames each other. And to this day, 50 years later, it's never been resolved. Okay. Um, they, what would happen is he, he took over the business management and he made some wrong decisions. And I think the, the, the worst of his decisions that he made is that he stayed in this bad record deal. Okay, they 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 weren't getting enough money per record, all right, compared to what other major rock acts were getting. And there were other deals that should have been included in there, other kinds of royalties and stuff that they did not get. Fantasy made a lot of money, like you said before, off off credence. All right. Now, Saul Zentz got into film production. Okay. Did you know that he put money up for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? No, I didn't know yeah. that. Where do you think he got that money? <laughs> oh, by from Fogarty. From, from uh, Creedence. Creedence, okay. yeah. So, you know, it, it went into other things that Fantasy Records got involved with. Um, with all of the tension and trouble swirling around the band, uh, they went on a 20-date U.S. tour anyway. And... Um, by October 16th, 1972, though, a few, just a few months after that tour ended, Fantasy Records and the band officially announced that Creedence Clearwater Revival had broken up. Um, they, they would never reunite, like, like I've said. Uh, John would never make amends with his bandmates or his brother, okay, who would die in 1990 from an AIDS-related complication due to a bad blood transfer related to back surgery he had received. Yeah. And sadly, back in the 80s, that used to happen. Um, at his funeral, though, John gave the eulogy for his brother. And he said that kind of poignantly, um, we wanted to grow up and be musicians. I guess we achieved half of that by becoming rock stars. We didn't necessarily grow up. So I, 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 think, I think that weighed heavy on him, you know, that him and his brother never amended, you know, uh, uh, made amends, I should say. Um, Fogarty, after the breakup of Credence, began a solo career. Uh, he started something called the Blue Ridge Rangers, which was really just him. It was a one-man band yeah. with him playing all the instruments, and they, they cut a, he cut a record um, of 
like traditional country and gospel songs. And the, I, the album was entitled The Blue Ridge Rangers, and it was released in April of 73. Fogarty's name was not mentioned anywhere on the album cover. You wouldn't know that it was him. Okay, there was no mention of, of Credence. And that was intentional because I think he wanted to distance himself from that band. Yeah. All right. Uh, despite that, still got to number 47 on the charts. Not bad. Okay. Word must have got out somehow that it was him. Um, you know, I saw John Fogarty lie by himself. Like, did you? Pop- I've never seen him. I saw him. Dude, you want to hear something crazy? He released an album, and this must have been like. Probably 2005, 2006. Yeah, yeah, he did come and out it, with one. Yeah, it was a free show in the Chelsea in um South Street Seaport. Really, the guy went out there in the middle of the South Street Street for where they had the the stage. Uh huh. Um, he played ninety minutes free wow. concert. Okay. I went with my my friend Will Will John Boy. Will was with me. We were drinking beer. We stand by a music. So like John Fogerty. Every every song different on guitar. Every song different guitar. Really, really. That's how. Yeah. Okay, so every that's cool. Every and song. it was fantastic. Then after the show, he saw his new CD and he was signing copies. It's great. Free show. Yeah, that might have been. What album was that? That same week, Blue, he Blue Moon's up- Blue. Uh, the one that he won the Grammy for. Um. Uh, Blue Moon Swamp, or, it might be that. It or might be was it? Yeah, they, I think that might have been the last one he put out. It might have been because that same week, you know what? He also played in um in Yankee Stadium. He he was the opening night. He played center field. There there was an album he did. No, no, you know that's not the album. That's the album he did in the nineties. The one that came out around two thousand. No, I mean the song he played in Yankee Stadium. Oh, he played center field. The song he center field. Se- in Yankee Stadium, like he played the song, like he that same week he opened up in Yankee Stadium. Oh shit! Okay, I don't remember that. Wow, I don't. I must have been tuning out or something. He been started with that week. National Anthem, and then he came out and played um, "Put Me in Coach." I want to play center field. Oh wow! In center field, he was. In center, just... It was fantastic. <laughs> That's very cool. That's very cool. Now Fogarty owed fantasy records eight more records but he refused to record them uh his relationship with zentz had collapsed entirely so you know he really wasn't willing to work now in 1975 this impasse was resolved when david geffen's label asylum records bought out fogarty's contract for fantasy for a cool one million dollars so they paid geffen paid you know fantasy to get out of the contract for Fogarty. And he would release one self-titled album for Asylum in 1975, just called John Fogarty. Uh, he actually refers to it as Old Shep because there's a picture of him and his dog on the album cover. The dog's name was Shep. So he, <laughs> he calls the album Old Shep. But after 1975, he would take a break for 10 years. All right. You wouldn't hear anything from him. Um, in yeah, 19- didn't, he, didn't he have a problem with like, playing his own songs for a while? Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. In 1980, okay. um, he gave up the rights to his whole catalog, okay, to fantasy, to get out of this legal entanglement that he had been in. Um, 
he wouldn't when he would he 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 wouldn't play any of these Creedence songs. He he didn't want to play them because there was some problems with if he played them he'd have to pay. Okay, and also um, he had a lot of problems playing these songs. He just didn't feel comfortable. He, he didn't want to revisit the past. Um, you know, I, I think he just felt like. He didn't want to deal with it, you know. So he would be criticized for that. And what was happening is, is that songs like, uh, well, really, especially uh, Proud Mary, like people were forgetting that that was a Creedence song. Okay, yep. it, it, Everyone, I mean, I even asked my wife, I said, do you know that that's not a Tina Turner song? And she's like, no, I always thought it was a Tina Turner song. Nah, that was, uh, it's, it's, that was it, Proud Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and Bob Dylan actually spoke to uh, Fogarty at one point a couple of years. Uh, it was right after he released uh, Center Field in 1985 and was making that, com- making that comeback. He said, you know, if you don't start playing Creedence songs. Because even when Center Field came out in 85, he didn't want to do Creedence songs live. And I think that people expected it. So I, I, I remember when that came out, I remember talking to someone that, that went to see him like it might have been Nassau Coliseum or something. I don't know if it was a place that big. Might have been. I think Because I think he was big enough to play at that point. Nassau Coliseum. Um, and he's told me, he said, they didn't they didn't play one Creedence song. And I was like, wow. You well, know? he did the free show. He played a few. He played like Back in the Bayou. He yeah, that was back. Ocean. That was in, two, in the 2000s. I'm talking in the 80s. No, but I mean, he did play some Creedence songs. Yeah, no, no. He started of... to do it. He started to do it because... I was kind of shocked. I wasn't expecting to hear anything from Creedence. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is interesting, too. When, when Centerfield came out, um, my favorite song on that album, I, I don't really, I don't know. I, the, the song Centerfield is okay. I don't dislike it, but it's not one of my favorites. But it's a song, pop song. It's a catchy pop yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't mind it. But the, the song that I like off the album is The Old Man Down the Road. Okay? Uh, that was actually, I think, the first single off it. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but MTV jumped all over this when this first came out. Um, we got the new John Fogarty. He hasn't released anything in so long. The singer of Korean's Clearwater Revival. They hyped it up for like a week. And they played the video. Now, do you remember the video for The Old Man Down the Road? No. Because that song is like a, a swampy kind of Creedence song, it sounds like. Okay? And it starts off where it's like a you see a swamp and you don't see any people, but then it, it showed like the camera shows this like hillbilly guy sitting on an amp in the, in the middle of the swamp. Okay. In the, in the woods. And he gets up and he shows a wire. He grabs a wire that's coming out of the amp, like a guitar cord. Okay. And the mic, I mean the, the camera follows the cord. And he runs into people along the way, like there's people, like a man and a woman having a picnic, and then like the court, all the whole. You hear the song, Fogarty's singing, and it, the camera just follows the cord, follows the cord, follows the cord. It goes across a road, it goes through woods, and then it ends up 
in a town, and at the very end of the song, Fogarty's at the end of the guitar playing. <laughs> no, okay. I, yeah, look it up. It's a cool. It's a very cool video. I got very it. original. Yeah, very original for the time. You know, and uh, I, I like the song. And and interestingly enough, Zentz from Fantasy Records, Saul Zentz, sued him because he said it sounded too much like "Run Through the Jungle." Okay, so he got sued for plagiarizing himself. That's amazing, but. He won that case, okay? And at the, he, the, the judge ruled against it and said, that's ridiculous, okay? And because Saul Zentz had a hard-on for him. Obviously, there, there was something going on. They, they hated each other. And, um, but he had the rights to all of Fogarty's music, okay? So he said, oh, no, that sounds too much like Run Through the Jungle. I'm going to sue you. Not only did he sue him for that, he lost, but he still put him through. He had to go to court several times over it. He also had a defamation suit against him because <laughs> uh, Fogarty wrote two songs, one called Mr. Greed and one called Zans Can't Dance. <laughs> and, oh my yeah, and, and, you know, it was like a defamation thing. So he had to, like, pay out something and he had to change, the, like, the edit the song Zans Can't Dance into, like, Vans Can't Dance with a V. Okay, so... That that guy was just a, a total douchebag, you know what I mean? Now, now in in February of um, eighty seven, Fogarty broke his self imposed ban on playing Korean songs. Okay, uh, he started playing Proud Mary. He started playing uh, uh, Born on the Bayou. A um, bunch of other tunes started to be part of his set. Uh, he did a he did a free concert for Vietnam vets, and that's when he really brought that back. Um, in '86, he did release his second solo album called "Eye of the Zombie." Uh, he, but after that, he retreated again from public life until 1997, when he released the Grammy-winning "Blue Moon Swamp." All right, it won for best male rock vocalist, and. By 2004, Zentz had sold Fantasy Records to a company called Concord Records. He got out of the business and retired. Um, and as a goodwill gesture, because now they had Fogarty's catalog, okay, they had the rights. So as a goodwill gesture to, gesture to Fogarty, Concord Records honored a lot of the unfulfilled contractual promises that Fantasy made to Credence 40 years earlier. Uh, they played. They paid Credence a higher royalty rate on sales, and then restored the ownership of the music back to John Fogarty. Wow! Yeah. So twenty-five years later, almost after giving them up, up in nineteen eighty, in two thousand and four, he got them back. So what he would do? I mean, he was he was happy. He's you know, Zentz is out of the fucking business. I'm gonna sign now with Fantasy again, and that's what he did. And he signed back with Fantasy. It was called Fantasy Concord Records at, at that point. Um, and he put out a, an album in 2005 called The Long Road Home. Uh, it was really, it was, it was, an, it was the greatest hits, but it had, it had the greatest hits of CCR and his solo stuff combined. Um, in 2000, wow. yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty good collection. 
In 2007, he would release the sequel to the Blue Ridge Rangers album, and it's called the Blue Ridge Rangers Ride Again. And that's the last we've, we've heard of him, okay? Uh, since 2007, he hasn't put out any more material. Um, Credence, the, the rest of the band, okay, uh, never, reunited, never reunited. As we, we've said that, they never re- reunited as a band. But in 1974, Tom Fogarty released a solo album called My Opa. And it features all four members on it. So it's sort of a Credence album. But Tom Fogarty sings, and it's, it's different. Now, Doug Clifford and Stu Cook would make careers as session musicians. They would play with a lot of people on different albums. Um, they also produced different artists, um, including Rocky Erickson, okay, the Evil One album, which is a very good album. That was uh, produced by them. Um, and also a guy named Doug Som, who was in the Sir Douglas uh, Quintet Band, which was a pretty good band from the 60s. Um, now, after a long period of inactivity, Clifford and Cook formed Credence Clearwater Revisited. And they started performing Credence songs with several well-known musicians. Uh, Elliot Easton from The Cars was in this band. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he sang the songs. He did the he did the Fogarty stuff. Okay, doesn't really have the voice for it, but you know he didn't sound like Fogarty, but he sang the songs. I think at this point they just needed somebody because they yeah yeah they, 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 there was always like <clears throat> especially after like Center Field was a big hit in the eighties and and there was always re- rumors that they would reunite and it never would get off the ground. Uh, now, when it's mentioned, uh, Stu Cook and Doug Clifford say no. They're like, he's never changed. We don't want to work with him. And it's past that point. It's way too past that point to ever reunite again. But in 1997, uh, because of this Creedence Clearwater Revisited, Fogarty got a court order to make them change the name of the band or, uh, at some point, And it became Cosmos Factory. But then the courts ruled in, in Cooks and Clifford's favor, and they went back to using the, re, you know, the revisited name. And they haven't played for a while. I don't know if they, you know, obviously with the pandemic, um, but uh, they haven't played for, I think, about 10 years since they've been around. Um, I, I remember when they played, they, they were playing small clubs, stuff like that. They weren't playing, you know, big places or anything like that. They were just put, coming together just to make a few bucks and, you know, just yeah. be together, play music, you know, play good music. That's probably right. what it was. About. It was that right, time. right. And, you know, Elliot, Elliot, Elliot Easton was in them for a while. They had a few other people that were, that were also in the band. Yeah, that was probably more than, well, let's, let's play together, let's hang out. Like, right. Nothing to like, hey, we're going to make a million dollars. They just, let's play together, guys. I mean, they were involved with the songs. Why not, you know? Yeah. You know, they didn't write them, but <clears throat> so what? You know, they have a right to play them after all these years, I think. Yeah. So that's that's all I got for you today, Mr. Rossi. Creedence Clearwater Revival. Fucking fantastic, <coughs> man. Can you believe we've done 115 of these? I just, every week it's like amazing that we're still going. And uh, we love it. We're not going anywhere. Don't worry, people. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while now. And, and you know what? You know what? We, we either 
sometimes we hit a home run. Sometimes people be like, oh, you missed this and that. But you know what? <clears throat> it's all it's all hit and miss. We put out the thing we're also on. If you ever think we'd say something wrong or you want to get out of us, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. So if you guys ever want to pop a message, because there might have been something that we got wrong or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let, correct. Me, let me give you my social media handles okay yeah. uh rocker mike 212 on instagram that's rocker mike 212 uh twitter you believe i'm still suspended on twitter no it's been, Are you? Three, it's been three fucking months man i can't believe i, I went i went down with trump <laughs> 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 they will not bring me back on twitter i don't know why they won't even tell me uh so instagram we got i'm on facebook name is michael baker we got the uh, Facebook, the Rock Show group page po- from the podcast that me and you do. Uh, check that out. Also, I'm on Clout Hub under Rocker Mike. I'm on Parlor under Rocker Mike. And I'm on MeWe under Rocker Mike. Every day I post music uh, or, you know, music information, uh, sometimes even little ads on where to get some cool T-shirts and things like that. I always put little things up, several, you know, it's a very active uh the, the Facebook page is very active all day long. I'm, I'm always doing something. Yeah, even the people. There's a lot of people that put stuff on it, too. Yeah, not just me. Right. Not just like, me. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it's growing. We've been getting a few more members every day. Every day it's growing. And it's, um, yeah, so it's not only you. There's people always putting right. stuff on there. So, you know, it's good. It's good to see that. Now, you know who we have next week? We're going to have a very different, interesting show next week. We're going to be talking about crass. You know what? I have no idea who they are, so you're going to have to send me. <laughs> I'm not surprised. A lot of people don't know who they I are. I have no idea who the hell they are. So tomorrow, that, that show, I'll be learning with everybody else who the fuck these guys are. Yeah, yeah. Um, they got a great story. They were a UK punk band uh, that were, they almost were like hippies. They lived in a commune kind of house. <laughs> uh, they, they were... Uh, very into um, they, they were part of what was called the anarcho punk movement in England. Uh, they were all about peace and love and but punk rock. Okay, so very different kind of show. We're gonna get into them. What made them tick? Um, we got some good shows coming up, man. We definitely do. Even after that, uh, who yeah, we coming up after that? I, Let me see if I could get the. Um... Let me look up the schedule here. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. Like you know the funny thing, a lot of time when we do the show, I'm always fast checking stuff too. So and people people can realize that I do that all the time. I'm always on my I'm always on my um I'm always on my uh Kendall. My uh, yeah, yeah, my you got the, yeah, you got Google up, you're searching things yeah. right when we're when we're talking. Because sometimes you know, we'll get into something, and I, I may be like, I may be like, well, when did that happen? You know, and you check it out. Yeah, cause as far as my little fingers can take me. <laughs> yeah, so we got crash, we got the anim, the animals, curse. Oh, the animals, yes. The history of old music. Oi, music. Oi, music. Oi, yeah. O I is oi music. It's uh the skills, the stills, the the slits, the, the slits. Another, I have no idea who they are. 
a girl punk band from girl England. Band. Uh, we might have some guests on those two shows. Yeah, we got uh, Phil Spectrum coming up. And, uh, yeah. Uko, uh, Muddy Waters, Five Albums That Rules Part 2. Five Live Albums That Rules Part 2. Uh-huh. Um, and then we got the uh, giant, the Elvis and Cash, the Sun, the Sun uh, record years, which should be a fantastic show. Yeah, that will be Ed Sullivan and rock and roll should be mm-hmm. good too. Yeah, we're gonna talk Dave, about Ed Sullivan's contribution. Dave uh, yep. Bader and Ernie Pink Rose. And no, just, no, uh, no. Let me let me repeat that. That's Sid Barrett. Oh, Sid Barrett, pa- early Pink Floyd. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm already like I'm already my eyes, uh, and then we got Jeff Lynn and Roy Wood. Wood, yep. Wood, talk about them. E L O, right? Wizard and E L O. That's a good story too. Yes. Yeah, so, um. Yeah. So we got some very interesting shows coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Mike, that's all the way to July. Can you believe we got stuff going? And it's only April. Yeah, and uh, I know. And we're about we record about a month ahead. So you know what the fuck? And we just finished April with that show. Yeah. And we're not having, it's not even April yet. You know what? I know. It's good to stay ahead like this. Yeah, because you never know what could happen. And, yeah. uh, you know, we just keep moving along. And we've been doing that for over a year now. We've been a, at least a month ahead for over yeah. a year. We were, we were more than that at one point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think we were close to two months ahead. I know. There's point. so many shows that I still got to put up on YouTube. When we do the YouTube live, it goes up right away. I, uh, yeah. But it's a lot of work. So. And I got to yeah. listen to some. The problem is, I listen to some of the show in case I got to delete something if it's not making sense or it's skipping. I want to give a special shout out to our New Zealand and Sweden fans. Okay. Uh, we love you guys. You guys have been putting us in the top 40 in your country in podcasts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, thank you. I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I'm glad that you're all enjoying the shows and, and, uh, any fans from out there, from Sweden or or uh, New Zealand, get in touch with me. I'd love to to chat with you. You will, you uh, want to know something strange? So the um the um the show about the New York Doll, the makeup of the New York Doll. Uh huh. Right. Fast, too much. Too much. Too soon. Too album. Soon? Yeah. So it's ranked one eighty four as the single podcast in New Zealand. One eighty four. One eighty four. Not bad. So you mean out of how they? Out of a thousand shows they got, right? And yeah. Thousands of episode podcasts. That one show of uh of the New was York one eighty four. It's in the top two hundred, which is believe it or not, that's huge, Mike. It it is, and and I guess maybe that has to do with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, mentioning them as as possible inductees this year. Though I don't think they're making it. No. Um, but there's been a little bit, you know, Sylvain. Sylvain died. There's been a little bit of. Hype, but uh, yeah, thank you, New Zealand, amazing. So that's all you got for us, and yes, show ends. Don't get. The only podcast you will hear that will be music to your. Only here on the rock show. Ooh, yeah, on the rock show. Ooh, yeah, on the rock show. Don't tell your friends.
hearts get lumped up on the rock show.